of you are hungry for more of God. Pour it out, Lord. Let your love run over. God, that's our heart's cry this morning. That your spirit would come and fill our hearts, fill our minds, fill our vision with who you are and what you have planned for us. That there would be tongues of fire that testify of the love of Jesus. God, we prophesy and proclaim that it is done, that you are moving, that you are pouring your spirit out, that we are living in the last days when you are pour out your spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will dream dreams, your old men will see visions. We are living in that day. God, would you pour your spirit out in this place? We want more, Lord. We're not satisfied. We believe that there's more. So Jesus, in this atmosphere of worship right now, I pray that you would open up our eyes, our hearts, our ears to see and hear and receive all that you have for us today. Pour it out, Jesus. We're open, we're willing, we're surrendered, we're yielded. Just in this atmosphere of worship, I just wanna encourage you to say, speak to me, Lord. I'm listening. And all God's people said, amen and amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Man, what a powerful time in God's presence. So good to be with you. If you're new with us here today, my name is Pete. I, I'm the lead pastor and we're excited to have you with us as we are wrapping up this little two-week mini-series. It's so good to see all of our middle school students heading back to their middle school experience after participating in worship with all of us. I love seeing the hunger and the fire that the next generation has for the things of God. So excited and grateful for our uh, next gen volunteers and dream team members that are pouring into the next generation. Uh, to my church family tuning in online right now, whether you're on the other side of a, a phone or a tablet or a computer or smart TV, thank you for inviting us into your homes and into your lives. I pray that this message is a blessing to you today. We are wrapping up a two-week mini-series that we started last week called Witnesses, really based all around one verse. In Acts 1-8, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. What does that mean? And I just wanna give a huge shout out and say thank you to Bethany Mazur, our Next Steps and Outreach Director, who did a phenomenal job last week bringing God's word. And if you weren't here, she utilized a, a method of learning that you probably learned back in grade school, the who, what, when, where, why, and how. So as we talked about unpacking this concept of being a witness, we learned that the you, the who rather, is you. The what is proclaim the gospel. The where is everywhere you go. The when is whenever you have opportunity to. The how is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the why is because heaven and hell are real, eternity is long, and because Jesus Christ, our King, who's been given all authority, has commanded us to do so. So if you missed last week's message, I would highly encourage you to jump onto our YouTube page. 
uh, and listen to that because it really set the foundation for what I'm going to be adding on to and talking about today. But we are witnesses and we witnesses. That's what witness, witnesses do. We witness. But if we learn that every single Christian has the responsibility to share their faith, the question I want to begin with today is why are so few Christians sharing their faith? In preparation for today's message, I did a little bit of research this week, and I found a 2016 study that was done by Lifeway Research, where they polled 2,000 unchurched Americans. These are unchurched, non-Christian people. And they actually found a surprising openness to conversations about faith. Close to half of unchurched Americans, 47%, say they would freely discuss faith especially with Christian friends and family members. Close to two in three unchurched Americans say they have multiple Christian family members or friends that they regularly interact with. And of those, 79% say they wouldn't mind talking with their Christian friends about faith. So despite the openness that unchurched people have talking about faith and the relationships they have with people of faith, Very few unchurched Americans have ever had someone personally explain to them how to become a Christian. Only three in 10 unchurched Americans, 29% of those polled, say that a Christian has ever shared with them one-on-one how to become a Christian. Four in 10 unchurched Americans, 40% say they have never had someone tell them how to become a Christian, what the benefits of being a Christian are, or the benefits of participating in a local church. Another study I found, it's a little bit older, it was done in 2014, found that 78% of Protestant Christians in Canada, so again, this is in Canada, but that's not too dissimilar from our cultural context here in America. 78% of Christians have not shared their faith with anyone in the past six months. 80% of self-professed Christians have not shared their faith with anyone in the last six months. We have a problem. We've already established the fact that every Christian bears the responsibility to share their faith, and yet so few of us are actually doing that. Why aren't more Christians sharing their faith? There was another poll that I found that asked that question amongst Christians, and the number one answer was fear. People were afraid of uh, being embarrassed. They were afraid of being seen as the weirdo. They were afraid of rejection, afraid of facing hostility. And um, speaking of fear, I stumbled, coincidentally enough, across a social media post from one of my favorite theologians, Her name is Jackie Hill Perry, a brilliant young black woman who's a thought leader in our generation today, had just, I wasn't looking for it because of this message, but it's just cool how it lined up with what I'm talking about today. She shared, um, and I have a picture of it, I wanna read it to you. Uh, She said that I used to leave tracks in random restrooms because I was too scared to give them to an actual person. And if you don't know what a tract is, it's just a little booklet that presents the gospel, gives people a chance to become a Christian. But look at what this guy's response to her post was. Once, after reading a book on evangelism, I had the immediate urge to share the gospel. So I picked up my phone and rang a random number and asked the person if they were ready to die. No one should ever do this, like never. Could you imagine just ring some random person, hello, 
are you ready to die? Like, that's weird. Like, please don't do that. <laughs> that's not how we do this. But fear was the number one reason that people gave for why they don't share their faith. Other reasons were didn't have opportunities to, which I think is a cop-out. I think we're just not really maybe always aware of how many opportunities we actually do have to share our faith. Some people said they were too busy with normal day-to-day -day life, jobs, kids, schools, schedules, budgets, what's premiering on Netflix this week. Some people were honest and admitted that they were just selfish about it, that they were too consumed with their own lives to think much about the responsibility they had to share their faith with other people. Another reason given was that they assumed that non-Christians didn't wanna hear about Christ or Christianity, which as we learned from the first poll that I referenced in my message is actually not true. The majority of people would be willing to talk about faith if somebody just engaged in a conversation with them about it. The last reason was they didn't feel qualified. I don't know enough about the Bible. What if they ask me a question that I don't know how to answer? I don't know how to share my faith. So my job today is to remove that last excuse altogether. And I wanna try and teach you how to share your faith. And to begin, I wanna read a verse to you that the apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 and 12. Paul writes this. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. If you, I wanna pause right here for a second and clarify something. If you grew up in church, you might know of this as the fivefold ministry. These are five offices, five leadership functions, if you will, that are very different than the gifts of the spirit that are talked about in other places in scripture. And I wanna clarify that we as a church believe in all of the gifts of the Spirit, that they are still available and in operation today, available to every follower of Jesus. But these are not the gifts of the Spirit. These are the gifts that Jesus himself gave to the church. He didn't give these five leadership positions gifts. These five leadership positions are the gift to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why did Jesus give these gifts to the church? The next verse tells us. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, which is the body of Christ. Now here in the West, especially in America, almost all leaders in the church are referred to as pastors. That's just, I think, a bad habit that the, the American church has gotten into that we just call everyone pastor. Not every pastor title is a gifted pastor. They might be gifted as an evangelist. They might be gifted as an apostle or as a prophet or as a teacher. I myself can function in several of these leadership giftings, but my primary gifting is that of a teacher. My passion in life is to expound on and explain God's word and help connect the dots for people in such a way that they know what the Bible says, what it means, and how to apply it to their lives. That's my primary gifting as a teacher. So as a teacher in the body of Christ, my goal today is to try and teach you how you can become more confident in sharing your faith. And so today I wanna to give you four points, and I want you to think about this phrase. If you have that note sheet that you received when you walked in, I would encourage you to take notes. Think about the phrase, make it personal. Make it personal. Because all four points that I'm gonna give you today have the word personal in it. And I'm gonna give you all four right up front and then we'll break each one down. The first is accept the personal responsibility. 
The second is build a personal relationship, then share your personal story, and then fourth, give a personal invitation. So write those down. The first one we're gonna talk about really briefly is accept the personal responsibility. I'm not gonna spend much time on this one because Bethany last week went into great length explaining how the scripture very explicitly and clearly communicates that every single Christian bears the responsibility as a follower of Jesus to preach the gospel, AKA proclaim the good news of Jesus to everyone everywhere. All Christians, all believers are carriers of the good news, but not all Christians are announcing or proclaiming the good news like we're supposed to. And I don't know why we as believers would keep to ourselves the incredible news that Jesus paid for our sins, provided a way for us to be reconciled to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ and experience abundant life and eternal life. Why would we keep that news to ourselves? We all bear the responsibility. We need to understand that you, we, me, we are God's plan A, and he doesn't have a plan B to reach the people in your personal world that don't know Jesus. We are the message carriers to our friends and our family, our classmates, our coworkers, and our neighbors. So number one, we accept the personal responsibility. Number two, we build a personal relationship. Now, I'm not really saying that we shouldn't share our faith with strangers if and when the opportunities present themselves. But by far, my favorite, and in my opinion, most effective way of sharing your faith is when you do it with people that you have relationship with. We don't go up to people, random strangers that we don't know and don't have relationship with, and tell them, if you don't get your life right, you're gonna burn in hell. Like, that's not our message. That's not our way. We build relationship with people. We need to learn how to connect with people before we try and correct them. We build relationship. Isn't that what Jesus did with Zacchaeus? Those of you that know the story, Zacchaeus was a tax collector who got rich off of robbing his fellow countrymen, skimming off the, tax, the top as he collected taxes. He was an outcast amongst his own people, but he was a spiritual seeker. And he heard that Jesus was walking through town. So being a little guy, a little short, he climbed up into a tree just so we could get a glimpse at Jesus. And Jesus purposefully walked by that tree and looked up and said, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? Come on down. Let's have lunch together. Let's do lunch. Now he knew who Zacchaeus was. He knew he was a tax collector and he knew he was robbing people. And notice he didn't just jump right into the topic of money as he talked about, as he talked with Zacchaeus. He says, no, let's, let's grab lunch. Let's break bread. Let's have a meal together. Now, scripture doesn't tell us what happened during that meal, but we know that Zacchaeus came out of that lunch, giving all of his money away. Jesus connected before he spoke truth, before he corrected. So we've got to learn how to build a personal relationship with people. Find what John Maxwell calls their spiritual spot. And here's a tip for you. It usually involves a person's family or children. As you're building relationship, as you're having conversation with people, the moment they start to talk about their family or their children, especially if they talk about a concern they have with something, something happening in their family right now, lean into that. Pay attention. Ask questions. Let them know. Say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm somebody who believes in the power of prayer, and I just want to let you know I'm going to be praying 
for your son, for your daughter. I'm gonna be praying for your marriage. If they're open to it, you maybe would even pray for them on the spot, but just simply letting them know that you care enough about what they're going through to pray for them is a way to build relationship with them. Now that's not to say that we shouldn't be ready and willing to share our faith with strangers too when the opportunities present themselves. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 3 that if someone, anyone, asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But notice in the next phrase, he says how. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Some Christians have forgotten that that's part of the scripture as they just try to beat people over the head with the Bible and shove religion down their throats. No, we engage with people in a gentle and respectful way. We're respectful of where they're at and what they currently believe, but we always have to be ready. Another translation says, be ready to give a reason to anyone who asks you. So it's not just people that were in relationship, anyone that would ask you, you would say, let me tell you about my Jesus. And this reminds me of my mother-in-law, Kathy, who lives with Kelly and I. And if you don't know uh, Kathy, then you need to be careful if you run into her anywhere outside of church and have a conversation longer than 30 seconds, because I promise you, she will bring up Jesus. It doesn't matter if we're in a restaurant, in the grocery store, like she'll like just jump right in and say, young lady, I don't know if I'm ever gonna meet you again or have the opportunity to talk to you again. So I just have to ask the question, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and savior? Like she just dives right in. And I'm almost embarrassed to admit that sometimes I'm cringing. I'm a little embarrassed at her forwardness of just talking to random strangers about it. When I should be excited, I should be the one maybe leading the charge, but she's teaching me to be ready in every season, in season and out of season, to give a reason to anyone that would ask you. I wanna be more like my mother-in-law. I admire you, I respect you, mom, for the way you share your faith with everyone, even strangers. By the way, you can build rapport. You can build relationship with strangers. This is a social skill that most of us have picked up intuitively. We know that to build rapport with people, we just start asking questions. We just engage in conversation. We listen, we're attentive. We gotta be willing to slow down and not be so consumed with our agenda and our schedule and where we're going, what I need to do, and actually be aware of the moments and the opportunities that present themselves whether it's with a server in a restaurant or somewhere else, maybe the server seems totally frazzled and the restaurant's busy. You know, you could just say, I could tell that it's a hard day and I just wanna let you know you're doing a great job. Engage in conversation. Ask them about their family, ask them their story. Build a personal relationship. And as you ask a person their story, out of sheer politeness, after they talk a little bit, they may ask you to do the next part of this, which is you need to share your personal story. That's number three. Share your personal story. Now, I just want to say something here because I think a lot of people in the church, especially if you grew up in the church, feel like they don't have a very powerful story. They hear about the testimonies of other people that got saved later in life and God delivered them from drugs and all of this other stuff. And you're like, well, I got saved at nine and God delivered me from bubble gum. Like, can I tell you something? If you got saved at nine and you've been serving God ever since, that is a great story. Don't compare your story with someone else. 
Chances are the person whose story you're envying wishes they probably had your story because they wouldn't have had to walk through so much pain had they come to know Jesus earlier in life. So don't compare your story to someone else because at the end of the day, no matter how dramatic your story is, we have all, until we met Jesus, we were dead in our sins. Then we came to know Christ. He brought us alive and now we have abundant life. So we've all been saved from something. And so we all have a story to tell. We all have a story. And if that story of being nine and accepting Jesus is your story, man, he did save you from all of those things. You might not have personally experienced it, but he saved you from having to go through the pain of it. Share your story. Jesus in Acts chapter one, verse eight, this is the verse the whole series is based on. Right before he ascended to the Father, this is after he rose from the dead, is speaking to his disciples and he said this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the purpose of this power is in the next statement, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. So witnesses isn't as much something we do as it is something we are. Jesus said, you are witnesses. And by the way, the gifts of Jesus that I mentioned earlier from Ephesians chapter four, the gifts of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, those gifts, the gifts of Jesus equip you to do his work. The gifts of the spirit that are mentioned in other places in scripture are to empower you to do his work. But you are witnesses. My job as a teacher and as a pastor is to equip you and teach you how to be his witness. The Holy Spirit is the one who will empower you to be his witness, but you are witnesses. That's what Jesus said. Now, what exactly is a witness? Well, a witness is someone simply who has personally seen or heard something. Someone who has personally seen or heard or experienced something. Let me give you a few examples from scripture. The shepherds at Jesus' birth were witnesses. Luke 2.20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard. John the Baptist's disciples were witnesses. They came to Jesus one time in Luke 7.22 and Jesus told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. Jesus' disciples were witnesses. In Acts 4, Peter and John were being questioned by the religious leaders, and the religious leaders were telling them, you've got to stop telling people about Jesus. And their response in Acts 4.20 was, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Paul was a witness. The apostle Paul, the greatest missionary, greatest maybe apostle to ever live, eight years before his death, 25 years after becoming a believer in Jesus, is telling his story in Acts chapter 22. And he's recounting about how he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. When a bright light shone, he became blind. Then a, a voice, Jesus called out to him and said, you need to go to Ananias's house. And in Acts 22, Paul is recounting how Ananias told him, for you, Paul, are going to be his witness, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. Whenever Paul stood before unbelievers, he always went back to his story. I was on this road, this bright light shone. Acts 26, he's standing before King Agrippa, the same thing. He's on trial because the Jews were trying to silence Paul. And what does he do? He goes back to his story. The apostle John, 60 years after the resurrection took place, 
He's the only living disciple left. All the others have been martyred for their faith. And a group known as the Gnostics were starting to spread this, saying that they had this special revelation and that the revelation the disciples had was not really true. And so the whole point that John wrote, the letter of 1 John to the church at Ephesus, was to address this. And look at how he begins his letter, 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. That's a witness. You are a witness. You have personally seen, heard, experienced something. And no one can argue with your story. They can argue with you about doctrine. They can argue with you about theology. But they can't argue with your story. Listen, if you were standing on a street corner and you witnessed a car wreck and they called you into court to be a witness, you wouldn't have to go to traffic school. You wouldn't have to go to automotive school to learn about brakes. They would simply wanna know what did you see and hear. That's what a witness does. They testify of what they have personally witnessed and experienced themselves. Which reminds me of a, a story I heard this week as I was preparing for this message uh, of a pastor. I was listening to this message and this pastor was talking about a friend of his who had come to Christ later in life and was sharing his salvation experience. And uh, this guy is now a pastor, but he talked about how his life before coming to Christ was riddled with drugs and he came to know Christ in his 20s. And he had reached a point where he was just depressed and desperate and wanted to end it all. And so for whatever reason, the, the way that he chose to end his life one particular night was to turn the oven on and stick his head in the oven. And as his head is in the oven, he is just crying and he has this moment where the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he's like, God, I believe, I don't wanna die, I, I believe in you. He had enough knowledge of like confessing Jesus, saying, Jesus, will you save me? Jesus, save me. And he, he stood back from the oven and he realized he knew in a moment something supernatural had taken place in him and he was saved. He was new, he was different. A couple hours later, a friend of his came over to do drugs with him. And he says, I don't do drugs anymore. I got saved, I got saved, I got saved. And his friend was like, well, that sounds really exciting. I wanna be saved too. What does that mean? How do I get saved? And the only context this guy had for how to get saved, he took him into the kitchen, opened the oven, and said, stick your head in there and watch what happens. That's how it happened for me. No lie, this was the story. And he got to explain to him his personal experience and his friend, funny enough, I don't know how the Holy Spirit works, but his friend wound up getting saved too. But you wanna know something? It wasn't theology or doctrine that saved his friend, it was the guy's story. Nobody can argue with your story. They can argue with you about theology, they can argue with you about doctrine, they can't argue with your story. This should set you free, because witnessing, you guys, it's not about telling other people what's wrong with them. Witnessing is telling people what happened, what changed in you when you met and believed in Jesus. 
That's witnessing. Share your personal story. And listen, stick to your story. Stick to it. You don't have to talk about when the dinosaurs went extinct or how that happened. You don't have to know how old the earth is. Don't argue about religion because religion is a systemized set of beliefs about God. And there's a whole bunch of false religions out there. There's a whole bunch of systemized sets of belief that people have about God. And you can argue with them until they're blue in the face. And most of the time, those arguments are very ineffective and fruitless when it comes to changing a person's mind to become a follower of Jesus. It's your story that usually will convince them. Now listen, please hear me. When I say stick to your story, I am not dismissing or diminishing the importance of there being people who know how to give a well-reasoned defense for the faith that we have to engage in an articulate and intelligent way intellectually with people who are on the other side of the spectrum and be able to give a well-reasoned, clear defense of the faith. Bethany Mazur has talked about this several times. It's called apologetics. And if that's something that is interesting to you, I would encourage you to talk to her. She will steer you in the right direction, point you like which books maybe you should start to read. But in the meantime, for our purposes and our discussion today, I'm gonna to tell you to stick to your story. Don't get involved with arguments about different things, different doctrinal points. Stick to your story. Like the guy that Jesus healed in John chapter nine. We're gonna spend a little bit of time in this story. John 9, 1, Jesus was walking along and he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And in verse six, Jesus spit on the ground made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Pause. I don't know what tradition you grew up in, but some people have this picture of Jesus. We think about paintings where there's always a halo surrounding his head and he just floated through life and he was so holy. Can you picture this for a second? That Jesus, the son of God, also fully man, came up to a blind man and went <laughs> spit in the ground, knelt over and used his finger to mix his saliva with the dirt and dust around it to make a mud or a clay, scooped up the mud that he made with his spittle and smeared it on a stranger's eyes. That's disgusting. If you or I were to do that with someone that we came up to on the street, people would probably call the cops on us for assault. Like what in the world are you doing? But that's Jesus. And look at what happened. So the man, Jesus told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. I wonder why the guy didn't say, I wouldn't have needed to wash myself if you didn't wipe mud on my eyes. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus healed him. It was a miracle. That's how simple his story is. But watch all the drama that unfolds afterwards. Verse eight, his neighbors. Notice in the verses that I read, how many times it says someone said, someone asked, someone replied. Look at this. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, that just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, no, I'm him, that's me. Yeah, that's me. They asked, well, who healed you? What happened? Like, this is amazing. 
So he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud. Now notice he left out how he made the mud. He made mud and spread it on my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. So they asked, well, where is he now? I don't know, was his response. I don't know. Verse 13. So they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. And that definitely didn't fit with their systemized set of beliefs about God. So the Pharisees asked the man all about it. And he told them his story again. He put mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. He stuck to his story. Notice his story is getting a little bit truncated because he's getting tired of telling it over and over again. But he stuck to his story. Some of the Pharisees said, well, this man Jesus is not from God for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how can an ordinary man do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Now you need to know that there will be a deep division of opinion amongst people that you share your story with. Not everybody's gonna be super excited about the change that takes place in your life when you come to Jesus. There was a deep division of opinion among them about this guy's story. Verse 17, then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, well, what's your opinion about this guy who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet, which was the only word they had back then to describe someone who was a man of God, a woman of God, a prophet or a prophetess. Well, the Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, because again, it didn't fit within their paradigm, within their systemized set of beliefs about God. So they called in the guy's parents. They asked his parents, like, is this really your son? Was he really born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know he's our son and he was definitely born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. And I love this next part. Why don't you ask him? He's old enough to speak for himself. <laughs> see, but they didn't wanna ask him because they already asked him a couple times and they didn't like his answer. You wanna know why they didn't like his answer? Because his answer was, I met Jesus and now I'm different. And they didn't like Jesus very much. See, no one can argue with your story. They can argue with you about a whole bunch of stuff, but they can't argue with your story that you used to be messed up and then you met Jesus and now you're not as messed up as you used to be. Because let's face it, some of us are still a little bit messed up. We're a work in progress, right? It's called sanctification. He's working on us. Look at verse 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. So don't give him credit. Let's give God credit for this. And look at the guy's response. I don't know whether you're a sinner or not, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. I know that much. That's my story. But look at what they say next. But what did he do? How did he heal you? The guy probably at the end of his rope says, look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, but clearly you weren't listening. Why do you wanna hear it again? Do you wanna be his disciples too? I love that. They were like, 
Who do you think you are? You were born in sin. You're a sinner. Are you going to teach us now? Like we went to seminary and it says they kicked him out of the synagogue. Could you imagine getting kicked out of church because you were healed and simply told your story that they asked you to tell? He stuck to his story. Can I give you a tip as you're sharing your story? Don't boast about what you gave up for God. Instead, boast about what God gave up for you. Okay? I know some Christians who, when they tell their story, they're like, yeah, I was living this life and I was involved in all these things and, and I gave it all up for Jesus and, and now I, I love him so much. And as I continue to sacrifice for him, shut up. People like that bug me because they make it more about what they gave up for God and not about what God gave up for them. What did you actually give up? You gave up hell. You gave up guilt. You gave up shame and, and judgment and God gave you purpose and meaning and abundant life and eternal life in its place. It's not about you, it's about him. Don't boast about what you gave up, boast about what he gave up because he gave his one and only son. Stick to your story and make it about him because this isn't about you. And that leads to my last point. The guy in John 9 kind of sarcastically asked the Pharisees if they wanted to become Jesus' disciples too. And that's really what we need to do in the last step, just not sarcastically. At some point after sharing our personal story, we need to build up the courage to give a personal invitation and ask them if they want to become a Christian too. Ask them if they want to become a believer in and a follower of Jesus too. And some of you are like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. That's really intimidating. Yes, you can. Yes, you can do this. The Holy Spirit will empower you to be his witness. It's my opinion and strong conviction that every believer in Jesus, every person here today, every person watching online, if you are a follower of Jesus, you should make it one of your life's goal to be able to clearly articulate and explain the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel, the word gospel means good news. What is the good news? Well, the good news is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory of a perfect and holy God, Romans 3.23. And because we're all sinners, we all deserve hell. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But God showed his great love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. And John 3, 16 says, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Not only did Jesus die, but he died and he rose again three days later, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and he lives forevermore. And only through belief in Jesus can we approach God. Can we be made right with God? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, singular. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that sounds very exclusionary. It is, but I don't, I don't know what else to tell you except the guy, the only one in human history to ever predict his death, burial, and resurrection and then follow through on that prediction is somebody that's worth listening to. Only Jesus lived a sinless and perfect life. Only Jesus was uniquely qualified to meet the righteous demand of a perfect and holy God that we have all sinned against. Only Jesus was fully God and fully man. 
No other prophet, guru, or teacher can make that claim. And we don't get to heaven by being a good person. We can't get to heaven by making sure that our good works outweigh our bad works. No, we get to heaven by placing our faith in the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God who became a man and died in our place. We receive the gift of salvation. It's a free gift. We don't earn it. It's not about our works. It's not about us. It's about Him. We receive it by grace, the unearned favor of God who offers it to all. And we receive it by faith in Jesus. That is the gospel. And that's what you need to be able to articulate and explain to people being a Christian is all about. That's what the gospel is. That God has made a way for us to be reconciled to a relationship with him through faith in Jesus. That's the gospel. Invite them to a relationship. It's not about religion. It's not about a systemized set of beliefs about God. It's about a living, real relationship with your heavenly father, your creator, the lover of your soul who has plans and purposes for you and wants to spend eternity with you. That's the gospel. And if you're not quite at a place, if you're brand new to faith and you're like, I, don't, I can't explain that to people. I, don't, I just got saved myself. Listen, if you know that Jesus died for you, you know more than you think you do. That's the gospel. Jesus died for me. And if you're not at a point yet in your, in your faith walk where you can kind of walk a person through understanding what salvation is, then at least invite them to church where we go to a great length to make sure we've set the table for people who are far from God, where they can experience it for themselves. Because listen, come and see is a biblical approach to evangelism. The disciple Philip told Nathaniel, who would become a disciple, come and see this guy, Jesus. The Samaritan woman at the well went into the town and told all the townspeople, come and see this man that told me everything I ever did. So you can tell the people in your personal world, come and see for yourself, come and experience the presence of God. Like hear the gospel talked about, the Bible talked about in a way that you can actually understand it. And where every week, almost every week, I give an invitation at the end of the message so that people who are far from God have the opportunity to make a decision to place their faith and trust in Jesus for themselves. Because every week we've got new people coming through the doors. And I never wanna miss an opportunity if the Holy Spirit is working on their heart and is drawing them into relationship to give them that opportunity to say, yes, I wanna follow Jesus. That's why we give you things like this. We're just trying to equip you and give you the tools and make it easy for you to invite the people in your life to church. Make it a natural part of your conversation when you're at work. Hey, I don't know what you're doing for Easter, but I'd love to invite you to my church. Love for you to experience what I have experienced there and just bring them with you. And listen, here's the thing as a church, we wanna be praying for you. Bethany challenged you last week and I'm gonna challenge you again to be thinking about someone who you can share your faith with intentionally this week. And we want you to know that we're gonna be praying for you specifically. And so we've created a QR code that we're gonna put up on the screens. I want everyone right now to pull out their phones Open your camera app and scan this QR code. I know some of you are already on your phone surfing Facebook, but get off Facebook. Open your camera app, scan this QR code, which will take you to a Google form that exists on a web page right now. It's just a simple two-line form. What's your name and what's the name of the person that you're planning on sharing your faith with? 
And if you can't scan it here, we have sheets of paper with this QR code at the information booth out in the foyer on your way out. And so this is just a way for us to be praying specifically for you that God would give you the boldness to share your faith. And we can be praying by name for the person that you're gonna be sharing your faith with that God would prepare their hearts and make them open to hearing what you're gonna tell them. So on Tuesday, when we meet as a staff, every Tuesday we have staff prayer, we're gonna pray by name for every person that you submit on this simple form. This Thursday, we are, first Thursday of every month as a church, we have a prayer meeting at six o'clock. You're all welcome to come. One of the things that we're gonna pray specifically for is for our Easter services, and we're gonna pray and lay hands on a printout of every response to this form so that you can, be, you can know that we are praying for you and we're praying for your friends that you're gonna be sharing your faith with, that God's gonna soften their heart. Can I be honest with you, church? No, Pastor Pete, lie to us. I always love when preachers say that. Can I be honest with you? Were they not being honest before that? I was extremely convicted in putting this message together, realizing how much of a better job I can do at sharing my faith. One of the things I miss most about working in the marketplace before becoming a pastor, before entering vocational ministry was being around non-believers. Working in the church now, it's like I'm around Christians all day, every day, and I don't have many opportunities to share my faith with people who don't believe what I believe. And it can be easy if I'm, again, being honest with you as a pastor who stands on stage every week and I'm preaching the gospel every week. And yes, we give invitations almost every week and we've seen hundreds of people come to faith in the last several years. But me equipping you and teaching you how to do that does not exclude or exempt me from the responsibility that I have as a follower of Jesus to be personally discipling and sharing my faith with people in my personal circles. So I want you to know that as your pastor, I'm, I'm right in this with you. Not only is my job to equip you, I, I still need to do this myself. And that's one of the reasons I love going to the gym so much. I go four days a week and aside from the obvious health benefits of working out, it's the only thing I do on a regular basis that puts me into environments where I can be around people who don't believe what I believe. And I can develop relationships and have conversations with people who are different than me. And that's one of the reasons I love Ben Wood so much. If you don't know who Ben is, Ben is awesome, yes, Juju knows. He is the owner of the gym that I go to. He is my personal trainer and a very close friend of mine. He's in my small group. We meet every Wednesday night at my house. And uh, I don't know if there is anyone in my life that I know of that is as active in sharing their faith as Ben Woods is. His wife happens to be playing the keys right behind me, and she came to faith because of Ben sharing his faith with her. And so a couple weeks ago, we sat down with Ben and asked him what his motivation was and why he shares his faith so much. And so we wanted to give you an opportunity to hear a little bit of that interview. So take a look at the screens for me. My name is Ben Woods, and my family and I have been coming to Life Church for approximately three years now. I grew up just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I was very fortunate to grow up in a Christian home. Uh, my, my parents loved and served the Lord. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was seven years old. Um, you know, carried that, that relationship um, and grew it up through my college years. And now I want to model that for my own kids. You know, our, our boys, we have four boys. 
you know, and, and, and not just our boys, but, you know, just the business that we're, we're in today. You know, anybody we come in contact with, I just want them to feel loved and, and cared for when they talk to me, but, but also just to, to, you know, through that kind of threaded the love of Jesus. In our apartment complex, we had a, a lady who was, uh, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. I started talking to her, just kind of building this relationship. As I got to know her a little bit, um, I found out she was really um, you know, kind of lost as far as her, her spiritual journey. She never had that relationship, you know, that, that, that we so long for. And uh, she started asking a bunch of just, just questions about like heaven and hell, and, and you know, she's she's worried she's not going to go to heaven, you know, because of her sins and this and that and stuff. And I basically explained how you know, if she prayed and, and accepted Jesus into her heart and asked for forgiveness of her sins and turn from her old ways and, and focus on, on, on Jesus as her savior and focus on building and nurturing that relationship, you know, she could live a whole new life. And, and she's like, I want that. I get choked up about it today, um, just thinking about it. But yeah, I, I literally led her through the, the sinner's prayer right then and there. And as much as like she received the blessing that day, like I feel like I received it in tenfold. At the end of the day, like this is eternity we're talking about. I mean, these are people's lives, like like beyond their, their life on earth. You know, looking back, like it's amazing how far I've come, and, and it's taken some work, you know, and some getting uncomfortable, you know, to get to the point where I feel confident witnessing to somebody, you know, and sharing my story. I think the more you do it, the easier it gets, and, and for me, it has, you know, as far as witnessing to them, um, and and it does get easier each time you do it, you know, less uncomfortable. I always say when your where your passion and your skill set meet that's where you'll be successful. And for me, I, I've been very fortunate to be able to find that kind of that niche, you know, where I love what I do every day. You know, I develop the skill sets and constantly develop the skill sets to do, to do what, what, what we do and what I do every day. Um, and it's able to also help people. You know, it, it provides a need, a solution for, for what people need and what they want. You know, we really want to use it as a mission field, you know, to help reach the lost. I always try to build rapport with everybody. You know, I, I treat our facility like our living room. Like I try to you know, greet, talk to, check in with them, see how they're doing. Um, you know, just get a good pulse on, on how their day's going. And I call it the three seconds of courage. You know, I just I just get a little uncomfortable. And and I'll be honest, early on it was uncomfortable. Sometimes I'll I'll just simply say, Do you go to church? You know, have you ever been to church? It's it's amazing how many how many no's I've received from that. And and followed up by like you know, but I feel like I should be going or I should look into it or you know, it's kind of like God just opens these doors for us. We just got to step through. It's amazing. I mean, the conversations I have with, with individuals every single day, you know, things they're struggling with, things they're going through, because really you just don't know where anybody is on their journey, you know, and you don't really know until you talk to them about it. So over the years, I've gotten, I've gotten, um, I guess, better at, at seeing those opportunities and, and taking advantage of them. And now it's become almost a daily habit, you know, with that, where I'm just kind of threading those conversations into our, into our normal conversations. I almost feel like I'm doing people a disservice if I don't share at this point. Like, I feel like if I, if I don't tell them where I get my joy, my, my love from, like, I feel like I'm, I'm holding them back from, from reaching their potential. Isn't that awesome? I want to be more like Ben Woods. Not only is he the most positive, encouraging, and motivating individual you will ever meet, maybe in your entire life, but as he described in that video, I don't know anybody that is as active and bold in sharing their faith as Ben Woods is. I don't know if you caught it in there, but in his own words, he kind of re-stated re, uh, everything that I told you in the message today. He has clearly accepted the personal responsibility. He builds personal relationship. He said, I build rapport with all of our clients. That's what building relationship is. He shares his personal story all the time to anyone who will listen. 
And he gives a personal invitation, sometimes to, you know, pray with someone on the spot, other times to invite people in the church. I can't tell you how many people have started coming to this church because of an invitation from Ben Woods. Ben is not here today, but I, I can't wait for him one day in heaven to be able to have people come up to him and say, thank you. I'm here because you were willing to be uncomfortable enough to share your faith with me. Because you shared your faith with me and I accepted Jesus, I've shared it with my children, our family. Like how many legacies, how many generations, how many lives have been changed because Ben Woods was willing to get uncomfortable and share his faith? How many people in your life will come to know Jesus because you're gonna step out and share your faith? Because you can do this. Whether you're a student, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, we've got several Bills players that attends here and one who I'm becoming a friend with, Isaiah Hodgins, he's a wide receiver on the practice squad, has invited at least a half a dozen other Bills players to come and experience what God is doing here. Doesn't matter what arena you're in, what, what you do for a living, you can do the same thing Ben does. Because at the end of the day, like he said, this is eternity we're talking about here. So let me pray for you. God, I've done my best in the time allotted to teach and equip your people to do your work. The part of your work that involves us sharing our faith. But now, Holy Spirit, I need you to do what only you can do. And that's empower your people. So right now, Holy Spirit, I pray for an Acts 2-like outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that there would be a baptism of fire and boldness that comes upon your people, Lord, where they experience the supernatural empowerment that comes when you fill them. And when they leave this place, there's going to be an urgency in them to share their faith with anyone and everyone who will listen. Only you can do that, God. I can teach, I can equip, but you are the one that empowers so Lord, would you do that right now? I believe you're putting the faces of people in our lives, in our minds right now. And as you think about them, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you the courage this week to reach out and have that conversation. Schedule a lunch, schedule a coffee, invite them over for dinner. Maybe it's in the office, water cooler talk. I don't know, but God's gonna give you the strategy and trust that he will give you the words in the moment to share with your friend to share with your coworker. Do it, God. Continue to build your church through us. That we would not shy away from our responsibility, that we would not shirk it. Lord, that we would not make excuses, but that we would leave our yes on the table with you. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us today through your word. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen and amen. Church, did you enjoy this little series? I hope, I hope it has encouraged you. I hope it has uh, equipped you to go out and be his witnesses. Uh, that concludes our series. And I wanted to let you know that uh, as we head into the Easter season, we're going to be starting a new series. And so as our Dream Team members get into position to serve you on your way out in just a moment, I wanted to give you a little sneak peek at the new series that we're starting next week that will take us through Easter. So take a look at these screens.
For timeless promises made by the God of the universe have long been remembered through the ancient tradition and celebration of Passover. The key to spiritual wholeness can be found in these four promises as recorded in Exodus chapter 6. God saves you. God delivers you from the pain and scars of yesterday. God reveals his purpose for you. God enables you to live a life of fulfillment. Experience the incredible freedom, joy, and transforming hope that is found through the fulfillment of these promises in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To tell us time. I'm excited about that series that begins next week. To tell us die is the word that Jesus said while he was hanging on the cross, which means it is finished. What was finished? I believe it's in reference to the four promises that God gave the Israelites more than 1,500 years prior in the book of Exodus. We're going to talk about each of those four promises in this four-week series. It's going to be awesome. Take these Easter invites with you. Be praying about who you're going to share your faith with, and let us be praying for you. So if you didn't get a chance to scan this QR code on the screens on your way out, there are sheets of this at the information booth where you can scan it again. We would love to be praying for you this week. Church, I love you so much. Have a great week. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday. Get up on your feet. This is a shakedown. Order up that beat just like a takeout. Show me you got soul inside those new shoes. You can rock and roll with the attitude. So good, so fresh, just the way you like it.